From WHYY and BillyPenn.com, it is hitting season. I'm your host, John Stolness from The Good Fight and Billy Penn. You can follow me on Twitter, at John Stolness. Coming up, a solo show here from me on Friday. I know normally you get Justin and Liz on Friday, but they're all uh, taking the day off. And so you got me on a solo show, so it'll just be you and me talking Phillies. And we got a lot of good stuff to talk about here on this edition of the podcast. We're going to talk about a team that is officially hot now it's not the tigers it's not a mirage they're beating good teams and they just beat a really good team on the road three out of four so we'll talk about the diamondback series and all the stars and the great performances we saw in that series we'll also talk a little bit about aaron nola and some of the issues that he's having uh we'll talk about the oakland athletics and the series that's coming up with them and all of the all of the issues going on in oakland there's a lot happening with the a's and so the phillies are getting them at a very interesting time to finish up up this seven game road trip and uh, we might dip into a couple other different topics as well here on the podcast so lots of different stuff to get to on this edition of hit and season first just a reminder to give us a five-star rating and a review at apple podcasts I, we haven't heard from you folks i think in, in a little while in terms of what you think about the show things you like things you don't like if you can give us a five-star rating and then just give us your thoughts i would love to hear what you have to say and of course if you have any questions that you want to ask you can leave them there on the apple podcast rating or you can record that voice memo on your phone and email any questions or comments to us at hit and season at billypen.com hit and season at billypen.com that's the email it's real easy get the voice memo on your phone say what you want to say and email it in we'll get it up on the show all right phillies officially a hot baseball team taking three out of four from the first place arizona diamondbacks on the road Something the Phillies have had a hard time doing this year, winning road games, coming into this series against Arizona. They had the second worst road record in Major League Baseball. But after losing the series opener on Monday, they won the final three games of the series. And now they have won four series in a row, including back-to-back series against the first place team in the NL West, the Diamondbacks, and the second place team, the LA Dodgers. I mean, that was a home series at Citizens Bank Park. And the really, the Phillies were two feet away from sweeping the series. They were two feet away from winning that game on Monday when Cody Clemens' home run ball that would have given them a 10-9 lead in the ninth inning went just foul. It was originally ruled a home run and then overturned. So they, they came that close to winning all four games in this series. Had they won that game, it would have been another one-run victory, most likely. As it is, the Phillies lost that game on Monday, 9-8, to and then they won these last two games in the series on Wednesday and Thursday, each by one run. They're having quite a nice little run in that department, thanks to some improved pitching. The Phillies are 7-1 and one in one-run games over the last three weeks. They're now 14-7, and seven on the season. So if they were seven and one, that means that they were uh, seven and six in one run games before this, uh, this uh, little blitz here over the last three weeks, only the Marlins at 17 and five have pulled out more one run victories so far. That note from Corey Seidman from NBC sports, Philadelphia. And really, the, the performances overall have been from the offense and from the starting rotation. That's how you win baseball games. That's how they went on that run in the playoffs last year. 
they scored a bunch of runs and they had good starting pitching and they also had good bullpen work. But that's been the problem with this team here in 2023, an inconsistent offense that didn't hit with runners in scoring position. And that lasted for two full months and a starting rotation that could not string consistent starts together. Well, now in the month of uh, in the month of June, Philadelphia's offense actually okay. So over the last twelve games, not quite the start of June, but over the last twelve games during this stretch in which they've gone ten and two, the offense is averaging five point nine runs per game, hitting two eighty nine with a team wide eight forty seven OPS. That's very very good, and the rotation has an ERA of two point oh six. That's even including Aaron Nola's less than awesome start on Thursday. So they've won 10 out of their last 12 and the offense is doing its job. The starting rotation is doing its job and the bullpen has been pretty consistent all year long. Not perfect, but also pretty good, which is saying something considering they're throwing a bullpen game every fifth day right now. So they enter a three game weekend series against the woeful yet suddenly playing better A's at 35 and 34. They are over 500 for the first time since mid-May, and have won 10 out of 12, like I said just a moment ago. When they were really struggling, when they fell six, seven, eight games below 500, we said they would need to go on another hot streak like this in order to kind of get back into things, and that you couldn't necessarily guarantee that they would do that. I have no problem with all of the hand-wringing that I was doing in the first two months of the season. Because historically, if you play that bad for the first two months of the season, you're out of it. And if we were playing under old rules, the Phillies are still like eight games behind the Braves in the NL East. There's you're not making that up. But in this in this in this era of three wild cards, you just are never out of a season. And even as the Phillies were playing poorly, it's it's fair and it's fine and it's right to be annoyed and upset by it because you're investing three hours of your night every time you watch a baseball game. And when you when you watch a team that's supposed to be good lose and flail and you see star players not playing to their expectations, it's frustrating. And you want to figure out why, what's going on, how long is this going to go on for? Because it's sure when you when you have a team that's going through a two month stretch like that, it's hard to see an end. And and we looked at last year and we said, yeah, they did the same thing in April and May of last year. But they won nine in a row and then went on a went up, played 600, 620 baseball for the next three months. But can they really do that again? Can we expect that again? Well, I, we I guess we can, because that seems to be what this team does. And we said they would need to go on another hot streak like they did last year. And what do you know? It's time. It's timed up with them bringing back dancing on my own back into the clubhouse music rotation. Are the 2022 vibes back? Are they back to stay? I mean, I really do think that maybe maybe I'm making too much out of the song thing. But there is something to re- being able to kind of go back and relive the confidence that you felt when you were going through those good times last year. And they talked about the reason they didn't bring back Dancing on My Own was because they looked at it as a second place song. Be, you know, that uh that because they lost the World Series. That's kind of a pessimistic, negative way to look at it. And I get it if you wanted to kind of turn the page and try something different. But, you know, Garrett Stubbs, I think, summed it up best. It's like we we would kill for a second place song right now. They're 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 a fourth place team. They're still a third place team in the National League East. They're still not in the wild card, but they're playing so much better. And I, I, I don't discount 
the music, bringing back some of those 2022 vibes and helping them to play a little bit better. They sure look like they're more confident and maybe just reminding themselves of the feeling that they had when they were going through those good times is helping them somehow. I know that sounds stupid. It's, it's nothing you can quantify on StatCast or Fangraphs. But sometimes sports, you know, sometimes it happens. Sports is played by people. Sports are played by people. And sometimes when we saw it with Nick Castellanos last year, how many times has he talked this year about how he wasn't able to focus last year, about how he felt like when he was at the ballpark, he should have been at home. And when he was at home, he was thinking about the ballpark and he couldn't get comfortable. I still think he was injured to some degree last year, but there's no doubt he was mentally lost last season. And despite the fact that he's one of the most talented players in baseball, he couldn't hit last year. But now he can because he feels better. If he feels more confident, he's in a men- he's mentally in a better place. That all matters. And so I don't think that this run the Phillies have gone on since they started playing the music. And really, that's been one of the catalysts since they since that series in Washington, when they turn after that series sweep at the hands of the Mets. When they started playing better in Washington, they won the second game of that series against the Nationals. They started playing, they started playing the music again, and they haven't looked back. So do I think that the music is the reason why they're playing better? No, it's not the reason. But I don't discount it being a reason that the 2022 vibes appear to be back because this team's playing a lot like they did during the good times of 2022. Now, they are still, as I mentioned, eight games behind the Braves in the National League East. They are still three games back of the Miami Marlins, who continue to win. I just don't think there's any catching Atlanta, guys. Uh, so it's wild card or bust again for the Phillies here in 2023. They just let they let Atlanta get off to too much of an advantage. They, you know, they got too much of a head start on them as the Phillies tried to figure things out in the first couple of months. And credit Atlanta. They came out of the gate storming. That offense has been mashing the ball all year, and they just haven't stopped. They are winning games by hitting balls all over the field right now. The Phillies still, as they enter play on Friday against Oakland, they are still trailing the final wildcard spot by one and a half games. San Francisco right now holds the third spot with Miami in the second spot and the Dodgers in the first spot. But I got to tell you, I don't mind seeing those two, those two teams in front of the Phillies. I, I absolutely think the Phillies can track down the Giants, and I absolutely think the Phillies can and will track down the Marlins. Marlins are playing pretty good, no doubt about it. But again, their their one-run record is probably not sustainable for the entire season. Maybe, maybe it is. They've got good pitching. And if I'm saying that about Miami, I probably have to say that about the Phillies as well. But I do think the Phillies are far more talented than Miami, and they will catch them at some point. Now, the stars of this little this little streak that we're on, and the star of this series was Bryson Stott, who is just playing out of his mind right now. Starting on May 24th, Bryson Stott has failed to get at least one hit in just four of 20 games. So in 16 of the 20 games he's played, he's gotten at least one hit. He's hitting 346, 395, 513, with two home runs, three doubles, and two triples since May 24th. And in his last six games, he's been 
ridiculous, hitting 522 in his last six games with a 542 on base percentage and a 1,000 slugging percentage with five extra base hits. He is now tied for fifth among National League second basemen in FWAR at 1.6. He is going to make a move to try and get himself to the All-Star game as a second baseman. Trey Turner, also red hot since the calendar flipped to June. In 14 games, he's 18 for his last 57. That's a 316 batting average with an on-base percentage of 381. He's slugging 491, four doubles, two homers, six RBIs, five steals, six walks. Trey Turner is doing what you were expecting him to do. And it's all because he's, Kevin Long said, they they found something. I mean, because Trey Turner had said even last year in 2022, he never really felt locked in. His numbers were good, but I think he felt like it was kind of smoke and mirrors-ish. But they've got him crouched down now more at the plate, and he's just seeing the ball so much better. He's spitting on balls outside the strike zone now, which was the problem early on. He was expanding the zone. Pitchers just didn't have to come over the plate. And then when they did come across the plate, he was late because he was so unsure of himself. But now he seems to be picking up the ball a lot better and is playing a whole lot better. Let's talk a little bit about Aaron Nola. And I made this comment on Twitter and maybe it was overly pessimistic, but I'm just tired of it. I'm tired of watching him do this. I'm referring to him as the Phillies number four starter because right now he's pitching like this team's number four starter. Once again, showing his inability to pitch from the stretch this season. We have talked about this in previous podcasts, but he was given a three nothing lead. Nola breezed through the first couple of innings but then in the third inning, allowed a Kyle Schwarber error or misplayed ball in left field, allowed a, a, a hitter to get on. It was a single and an error on the play. They got to get Kyle Schwarber out of left field as quickly as possible. But Nola unraveled in the fourth inning after that. He allowed an RBI single and then a three-run home run to Cattell Marte, turning a 3 to nothing lead into a 4-3 to deficit. That homer allowed by Marte was made at the 11th consecutive game that Aaron Nola has given up a home run. That is one, shot, one game shy of tying Randy Wolf for the team record. Randy Wolf gave up 12, gave up a home run in 12 straight games in 2000. And a couple of different articles uh, were pointing out, and we've we've pointed this stat out, and so here's updated numbers from Alex Coffey and from uh, from Todd Zalecki on how Aranola is doing uh, with runners on base and when he's pitching from the windup. In 2021, opponent, opponents hit 224 against him when the bases were empty versus 260 when runners were on. Now, I will tell you, most pitchers, and I, I was looking this up, most pitchers, their numbers pitching with runners on base are worse than when the bases are empty. A couple different reasons for that. Pitchers certainly prefer to pitch from the full windup, and there's less room for error, so there's a little bit more pressure when runners are on base, and so it's natural that pitchers would struggle a little bit more when there's a run, even if it's just a runner on first base when they have to pitch from the stretch. So in 2021, a 224 average allowed with when the bases were empty to 60 when there was a runner on. Last year, it was 199 with the bases empty to 259 with runners on. So a bigger difference. He was much better with no one on base, but was allowing about the same batting average uh, with a little less power with uh, with at least one runner on base. This year, the, the difference is astronomical. Opposing hitters are hitting just 192 against him when he's pitching out of the windup. Okay, 192 when he's pitching out of the windup. Hitters are batting 299 against him 
with runners on base. It's a 299 average, a 350 on base percentage, and a 533 slugging percentage. Okay, that's more than 100 points difference. You go back to 2011, the difference was, uh, let me do quick math, it was uh, 36 points. All right, in 2022, the difference was a little bit wider. It was 60 points, but now we're talking about 107 points. Do you see the trend line there? Do you have the mental graph in your head? According to Fangraphs, and again, this is Alex, these are Alex Coffey's numbers that she looked up. Nola's strikeout rate has dropped from 26.5% with the bases empty to 18.2% with men on base. And his walk rate has gone up. He walks 6% of hitters with the bases empty, to seven and a half percent with men on base. His strikeout goes back up to 22.4 percent with men in scoring position. His walk rate drops. So it's a little bit weird that um, just with with runners on and maybe it's because he's thinking about, you know, the the having to try and pick guys off first base. Um, that seems to be a real problem with him. And, and Todd Zalecki mentioned this one. His splits entering entering his start on Thursday with the bases empty. Um allowing a 192 batting average. That's 40 points below career average. Doing better than he ever has with the bases empty. With runners on base, allowing a 299 batting average, 183 points higher than his career average with runners on base. And with runners in scoring position, he's allowing a batting average of 313 this year. That is 204 points higher than his career average. So he is doing better than he ever has in his career with the bases empty and doing worse than he ever has in his career with runners on base. Okay? I'm sorry, I was talking about, I was looking at batting average, OPS. Oh, the, the 40 points below career average is with OPS. So five, 597 OPS allowed with the bases empty, 40 points below career average, and 883 OPS allowed with runners on base, 183 points higher than, higher than his career average, and a 929 OPS allowed with runners in scoring position, which again is 204 points higher than his career average. So those are OPS numbers, not batting average. The batting average numbers I, I gave you were correct, but the difference between his career averages in 2023 were wrong. Those were OPS numbers. I hope I cleared that up. I'm sure I confused everybody with that. Here's, this, here's the thing. Yes, we, we can all see that with our eyes. We know that's what's happening, right? Why? Why is it happening? Aaron Nola and Rob Thompson don't think they really know why. Nola said, I think for me, a guy that's held the ball and picked off and kind of controlled the running game, gave our catchers a chance to throw the guy out. That's what I've done multiple times. And now there's a limit. Having a limit makes it a little tougher. Pitch clock, right? We've talked about the pitch clock. And he's basically, that's what he's saying right there. He does not have his normal flow where he can stall, where he can slow the game down, where he can throw over a bunch of times to kind of slow his body. He's got to move faster. He's feeling rushed. He's feeling rushed. And you know what? He is rushed. And you got to figure it out because this isn't going anywhere. He was charged with six hits, four earned runs, and one, one walk with nine strikeouts and one home run over six and two-thirds innings. And to his credit, Nola induced mostly weak contact, got a lot of swings and misses, and after the Phillies reclaimed the lead, the very next inning after he gave up the three-run home run to Cattell Marte, he held the lead from that point on. He retired 13 of the final 16 batters he faced. So he blew the one lead, but 
credit to Aaron Nola for at least not blowing the second lead that he was given. And then Gregory Soto, Sir Anthony Dominguez, and Craig Kimbrell managed to keep the score at 5-4. to four. The Phillies took a 5-4 lead in the fourth, and then no one scored the rest of the game. Kind of a weird game uh, to finish up the series on Thursday. Let's talk about Sir Anthony Dominguez real quick. One day after giving up a towering, game-tying eighth-inning home run to Christian Walker uh, when the Phillies had a 3-0 lead in the eighth inning, there he was again. Facing Walker in the bottom of the eighth inning. This time Walker was at the plate as the go-ahead run with the Phillies up five to four. But he struck Walker out and then got Lourdes Gurriel on a strikeout to end the eighth inning. And then after that, Craig Kimbrell set the Diamondbacks down one, two, three in the ninth, and the Phillies had that series win. But it was a gutsy call by Rob Thompson to send it back out there. And Rob Thompson, we talk about managers. We're always looking for things that a manager does to make a difference. And we've asked ourselves the question, what is it that managers do? How do they add wins? What, what kinds of things can they control? Can they influence in a game that really matter? This is one of those things. This was a situation where Rob Thompson could have said, man, Sir Anthony Dominguez really struggled with this guy last night. Couldn't get the ball over the plate. Came across the middle of the plate with a slider that got demolished. Hit nearly to Colorado. I don't think I want to have him face this guy again. But Sir Anthony Dominguez is there, supposed to be their dominant, late-inning, right-handed setup guy. Christian Walker is the guy that they have him on the team for. Same with Lourdes Gurriel. And he gave up a bomb the night before. But Rob Thompson said, he, he, this is our guy. And we, you can't abandon what, what What kind of message does that send to Sir Anthony Dominguez if you tell him, we're not, we're not going down that well again? He sent Sir Anthony back out there to try again. And Sir Anthony got the strikeout. Sir Anthony then struck out Guriel and got out of the inning. So maybe after feeling deflated the night before because he didn't get the job done, he gets his confidence right back the very next night. And, and Sir Anthony Dominguez has pitched extremely well over the last three weeks. Extremely well. Been one of their most effective relief pitchers. And with Jose Alvarado back, they have a fully weaponized bullpen again. They have everybody healthy in that bullpen right now, which is great because there are going to be more starts like this from Aranola, and you've got these bullpen games every fifth day, which they've got to figure something out with that, but we talked about that on the last podcast. There's no real solution at the moment. Although there may there might be one solution. I'll mention it in just a second, but we'll, that's for not right now. Um, just, but it, th this is the kind of influence that a manager can have on a game because he could have sent somebody else out there. Not sure who. You could have brought in Craig Kimbrell in that spot and maybe asked Kimbrell to give you a five-out save. They don't want to do that, I'm sure. Or brought Kimbrell in in the eighth inning there and brought Jose Alvarado in for another save, although maybe they probably wanted to stay away from Alvarado um, just because he's still working his way back from injury. But here you got Rob Thompson. This, he had an impact. The manager had an impact in that moment, showing trust, showing confidence and faith in Sir Anthony Dominguez and credit Sir Anthony Dominguez for coming through and rewarding his manager's faith. This is something the Phillies did so much in the postseason last year, was reward Rob Thompson's faith and decision-making process by performing. And Sir Anthony Dominguez did that in the series finale against the Diamondbacks. I do also want to talk about Ranger Suarez. He, he is my favorite pitcher to watch right now. On the Phillies, yes, more than Zach Wheeler, more than Nola, more than Taiwan Walker, I enjoy watching Ranger Suarez 
more than any pitcher. And he's pitching like the all-star I thought that he would be when I made that bold prediction at the start of the season. This is what I was what I was thinking, because I just thought he gained so much confidence in the second half of the season last year and in the postseason when he was just so cool, man. He's just so cool. I love Ranger Suarez. In his last four starts, he has pitched against some really, really good teams and dominated them. In New York against the Mets, he went six and two-thirds innings and gave up just two earned runs on five hits and two walks with four strikeouts and a loss. The next series against Washington, against a bad Nationals team, he still went seven innings, gave up eight hits, one earned run, one walk, and three strikeouts. At home against the Dodgers, he went six innings, gave up just one earned run on four hits, two walks, and eight strikeouts in that game against a Dodgers team that doesn't strike out, by the way. And then in Arizona this week, he went seven innings, gave up four hits, no earned runs, two walks, seven strikeouts against, again, a very, very good Diamondbacks offense. So the Mets, the Dodgers, and the Diamondbacks, three of these games were on the road, by the way. Suarez has been incredible. 26 and two-thirds innings during those four starts, 21 hits, four earned runs in his last four outings for a 1.36 ERA and a 22 to seven strikeout to walk ratio in those 26 and two-thirds innings. Clearly, he just needed those first three starts to act as his spring training. He had a 9.82 ERA in those first three starts, but now we're seeing the real, the real Ranger Suarez, and it is, it is a lot of fun. He's pitching like the all-star I thought he would be. So in this four-game series, the, there were heroes everywhere. Of course, JT Realmuto played in the first three games and hit for the cycle in the first one. He hit 583 in the series. Bryson Stott hit 438 in the series with two home runs. JT Realmuto also hit a couple of home runs in this series. Trey Turner, a 450 on-base percentage in this series, hitting 313. Nick Castellanos just seemed to have a multi-hit game pretty much every game in this series. Hit 368 in the four-game series. Alec Bohm coming back off the disabled list or the injured list. I keep calling it that. I got to stop calling it the disabled list. Batting 400 in that in that four-game series. He played in three of those games. Had five RBIs. Second most on the team in this series. Kyle Schwarber with some big moments in this series. Hit 250, but with a 500 slugging percentage. Uh, and then you had Brandon Marsh, Bryce Harper, Cody Clemens. Just didn't have a whole lot of traction, but Harper had four RBIs in the series. I know that he's not hitting a lot of home runs right now. He still just has three home runs on the season. Uh, his last home run was on May 25th. That was 18 games ago. He has had longer streaks with the Phillies in which he's gone homerless. But even in these last 18 games, he has still gotten big hits and has an on-base percentage of 342 during that time. So he's still doing good stuff, still helping the team win. And I like where they have him in the cleanup spot right now because he's getting lots of RBI opportunities. And whether it's hitting sacrifice flies, RBI groundouts, or getting the occasional RBI single or double, that's great because you know the home runs will come. Just think as his elbow is getting stronger. He's still hitting rockets everywhere. He's hitting rockets every time he hits the ball. It seems like he hits it hard. He's just not lofting the ball quite quite that much yet, and I think that absolutely will come. So a great series for the Phillies in Arizona. Now, really, the only thing that uh, is the Phillies are struggling with at this moment is the number five spot in the rotation. And it sounds as though Chris Sanchez could make the start on Saturday in Oakland. Doesn't sound like he'd be a guy who you're going to lick get six or seven innings out of, but I think if you get four innings, five innings against a bad Oakland offense, that might be doable. 
But the Phillies' number two prospect, Mick Abel, may be starting to come around. I think it might be a little too soon to bring him up, and I think next week on the podcast, I want to talk to somebody who's been watching some of these minor league guys so we can talk a little bit more about what the options might be at the minors. But Mick Abel, on Thursday night against Hartford, went five innings, struck out seven guys, gave up two earned runs on four hits. And uh, he's had three really good starts in a row for Redding. He went six innings, uh, back on June 2nd and gave up uh, just two earned runs on seven strikeouts with four walks, still too many walks, um, gave up four hits in that uh, in that performance. Uh, and in the, in the start before this last one, he went five innings and gave up just um, one earned run on five strikeouts and three walks. This last time out, of course, as I mentioned, five innings with seven strikeouts, two walks, two earned runs allowed, and four hits. I think the walk numbers need to come out, come down just a little bit. In his last six starts, he's given up five, three, four, four, three, and two walks. But maybe he's starting to, maybe he is starting to bring that down a little bit. And he had a couple of really good starts early in the season too, in which he didn't walk anybody. I went six innings and a couple of starts in late April and early May. He's really had two bad starts. He has not given up more than two earned runs in any in 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 um let's see he's made 11 starts he's he's given up only two earned runs or more in two of his 11 starts so far this year. He got blitzed for a nine run outing back on May 12th and also gave up six runs against the Harrisburg Senators on May 26th. But other than those two starts when he gave up nine runs and six runs, he has not given up more than two earned runs in any start. Now, uh, he only went two-thirds of an inning in his first start because they were just kind of getting warmed up. He went four innings in his second, four and two-thirds innings in his third. But since then, has been has been steadily increasing his innings total and his workload a little bit. So that's a name to watch. I don't think Mick Abel necessarily is ready right now, although if they wanted to bring him up, I would love it. I would absolutely love it. But I know that I'll have somebody tell me that he's he's not quite ready yet. And so I'll, I'll accept that if that's the case, but um, he, he is looking a whole lot better uh, right now and I think could be a candidate to, to maybe provide some relief in the number five spot as well. All right, looking ahead to this week, the Phillies uh, get ready to go take on an Oakland Athletics team that is really going through some stuff right now. And they're very much in the news because of it, uh, their apparent move to Las Vegas very soon. Um uh, Las Vegas, the Nevada Nevada legislature gave final approval this week to provide public funding for a one and a half billion dollar stadium uh, that would come with uh, $380 million in taxpayer money. So it looks as though Oakland fans were, are going to be losing their baseball team. Earlier this week, uh, they actually staged, it's called a, a reverse boycott. So they've been averaging about 8,500 fans a game this season, the A's have, but they got about 28,000 in the stands for a game this week in which they essentially were remaining silent during certain sections of the game and then would erupt in chants of sell the team, sell the team, which of course, if you're going to move, if, you, if you've got a stadium deal all worked out, there's no way ownership is selling the team. So Oakland fans are really left in a spot here. They're going to lose their baseball team. And I don't know when it's going to happen. It might, it probably won't happen right away, but it's a lame duck situation. And Rob Manfred, ever with, ever with the warm heart, I mean, this guy's just a care bear, isn't he? Just, just fills you, fills you with all of the warm fuzzies. 
He says, and you can just, you can hear the sincerity dripping from his oily voice. I feel sorry for the fans in Oakland. I do not, I'm, I'm exaggerating here. I do not like this outcome. I'm just, I'll just read it without being dramatic. I understand why they feel the way they do. I think the real question, and here's the real question, not the fake question of, of Oakland fans and the fact that they're going to be losing their team. He wants to get to the real question because I'm sure this is in response to a reporter's question. What are you, what did you see this week from Oakland fans? That's what he was asked. He was asked, like, what did, what did, what did, what was your take on Oakland fans staging this reverse boycott and calling for the owner to sell the team? And then the fact that they're going to lose this team that has been in this city for decades. They've had two separate, they've had two separate dynasties in Oakland in the early 70s and then in the late 80s and early 90s. Okay. This, the, the, the athletics are more tied to Oakland now than they are, than they were to Philadelphia. So this is a big loss for the city of Oakland and their fans. And so this is this is the real question about Oakland fans and the abandonment that they're about to experience and already starting to experience. But but he wants to note that the real question, here's the real question, according to Rob Manfred. He said, I think the real question is what is it that Oakland was prepared to do? There is no Oakland offer. They never got to the point where they had a plan to build a stadium at any site. It's not just John Fisher, who is the owner of the A's. The community has to provide support. And at some point, you come to the realization that it's just not going to happen. See, Rob Manfred does not, cannot conceive of a universe in which public funds do not help pay for a stadium. By the way, the city of Oakland has pushed back on that assertion, saying that they never made an offer, saying that they didn't try to keep the team. So Manfred, I don't know if he caught that memo, but Manfred said he was out to dinner with other owners during that sell the team game and read coverage about the event. He didn't see it, read coverage, and he said, I thought it was great. It's great to see what it what is this year almost an average Major League Baseball crowd in the facility for one night. That's a great thing. The backhanded compliment, the backhanded slap there, where he says, oh, it's great to see an almost average crowd get out to the Oakland Coliseum for one night. That's a great thing. He didn't say it like that, of course. But that's what the words mean. He says the words as it's of a compliment, but of course it's not. It's nothing close to a compliment. The reason A's fans are staying away is, is have you seen the team? They haven't, they haven't invested money in that team in decades now, Billy Bean's been able to work some magic over the years, even recently. But here they are back in another cell mode, and they've got nothing for A's fans to, to latch on to. The stadium is a hole in the earth. You, for those of you who remember Veterans Stadium, you think that was bad? It ain't nothing compared to the Oakland Coliseum. It ain't nothing compared to that. The A's were in the playoffs in 2019 and 2020, but they started trading away the young guys to reduce payroll and now it's the lowest in baseball once again. And as the roster got worse and worse and worse, the team raised ticket prices. And they said that the team, that the, the, the poor attendance and the condition of the ballpark is what prompting this move to, to Las Vegas. But there's a reason no one's coming to your games. It's because you keep killing the teams. 
So the Phillies will see the fans' heartbreak firsthand this weekend when they play a three-game series against the A's at the Oakland Coliseum. But it is also important to note, Bryce Harper and Bryson Stott were asked about Las Vegas getting a team, getting the Oakland A's. They are not for it. They are not for it. They're, they're big They're big fans of Las Vegas sports. They love the Golden Knights. The Golden Knights, the NHL franchise, expansion franchise. They've been in existence for six years. They just won the Stanley Cup. And they, that's because, and they, and they said this, essentially, like, they would rather see an expansion team start in Las Vegas rather than a team that has connections to some other city. Because Vegas, there's not a lot of, I mean, there are Las Vegas residents. There are Nevada residents who would take ownership of a team. But if you bring in a team like the A's or some other team from another city, another franchise that already exists, you don't, you're not building your own thing there at least not for a long time. And he basically, they basically are saying they're, it's a small ballpark. It's going to be like a 30,000-seat ballpark, the smallest in Major League Baseball. He's like, you'll get out-of-towners to come to games, but you're not going to develop a real fan base. They pointed to the, um, they, they pointed to, uh, the um, Las, Ve- Las Vegas Raiders, and, and they're not selling out their games. And when the, the, half the stadium is filled with fans of other teams because there's, they haven't built up a fan base. Like, it's not your team. It's kind of ironic that Las Vegas is, looks like it's going to get both Oakland teams, the Raiders and the A's here. It's just sad. And what's happened with Oakland? Oakland just Oakland used to be a hotbed of sports. Now they're all going away. It's really a shame what's happening there. Um, so the Phillies are going to come into the Oakland Coliseum. Uh, might be their last time ever playing there. We'll see. We'll see exactly uh, when the A's have to move out of there. They have a lease through next year at the Coliseum. Um, but a ballpark's not going to be built in Vegas until like 2028. So my guess is the A's will stay at the Coliseum. I don't know where else they would play. And they are 19-52 and 52 this season. They've lost their last two games, but... Uh, had been on a roll and are 7-3 and three in their last 10. They no longer have baseball's worst record. Congratulations. That distinction now belongs to the Royals at 18-50. and 50. Although the A's are, you know, it's going to be tough to get back in the race. They're 24 and a half games out of first. <laughs> 24 and a half games out of first. It's June 16th for crying out loud. Just some players to know. Uh, first baseman Ryan Noda leads the team with a 2.0 wins above replacement. Uh, he has an 854 OPS on the season. Uh, designated hitter Brent Rooker leads the team in home runs with 13. He has an 869 OPS. Uh, Ramon Laureano is still there. Remember, he's a guy the Phillies, um, the Phillies fans wanted to trade for. Brilliant defensive center fielder. He isn't hitting a lick this year. He's been terrible. But what's really disgusting about the A's is the pitching staff. It is just brutal. J.P. Sears has the best ERA on the team, a 4.15 ERA in 13 games. Meanwhile, Ken Waldachuk has made 10 starts. He has a 6.87 ERA. James Carprelian has an ERA of 6.89 in nine starts. Kyle Muller is on the injured list right now, but he had an 8.04 ERA in 10 starts. Luis Medina in six starts has a 7.55 ERA. Shintaro Fujinami in, let's see, he'd made six starts for the A's. He's been bouncing back and forth. He has a 10.8 ERA. I mean, this is what you're looking at here. If the offense, I got to believe they're going to stay healthy in this series because this this uh, this pitching staff has no chance. I mean, they're just awful. Now, the A's did take two out of three from the Braves recently. So they're not about, they, you know, it's possible. And Oakland is, you know, uh, Justin wrote an article on Billy Penn about this. Um, let's go along with this podcast and I'll just react to it real quick. Noting that 
the Phillies have oftentimes been the underdogs the way they've played so far this year. They've just been kind of the scrappy team and they were the scrappy team last year. And, you know, they, they really had that underdog mentality. That's the, the Phillies come in this team in, into this, into this, uh, series as the bullies, right? I mean, they, and that's part of baseball, you know, you go in and you're trying to knock it. You're trying to kick a man when he's down. That's exactly what they're going to try and do. There's no sympathy for, for the Oakland A's players and for the team. You know, you got to win these games. The Phillies have to win two out of three, and they really should sweep this series. And that would be something. They're getting the A's at just such a great time. I mean, you could go 13 out of 15 if you can win these three games. And I know you only take one game at a time, but as a fan, you're looking at these three games in Oakland and thinking to yourself, this is a prime opportunity to make up some ground. Now, that doesn't mean things can't bounce against you and you lose one of those three games. And if that happens, it happens. There's going to be a bullpen game on Saturday or Chris Sanchez is going to start on Saturday and who knows how that'll go. But there's no reason why the Phillies with a 200 and some odd million dollar payroll can't beat a 50 or $40 million payroll. 30, I guess I can actually, I don't exactly know how much Oakland's payroll is. I don't have it in front of me, but it's, it's like $200, $200 million less than what the Phillies are spending. So shouldn't be, this shouldn't even be a contest in these three games. Of course, you got to play the games and uh, and we'll see how that goes. All right, folks, time for your stat of the week. Rob Thompson won his 100th game as a Phillies manager. He's the 56th manager in Phillies history to win 100 games. Now, out of those 56, he ranks tied for sixth in fewest games needed to reach 100 wins. He did it in 180 games. Thompson reached 100 wins faster than any Phillies manager has done it since Pat Corrales in 1983, who also did it in 180. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for this edition of Hit and Season. Thank you all for, for joining in and listening to the podcast. A reminder, again, if you have a question or a comment about the Phils, record a voice memo on your phone, send it in to us, email it to hitandseason at billypen.com. And also, Billy Penn is the place to find everything Hit and Season. We have a landing page. Want to make sure you go to that bookmark it. It's billypen.com slash hitandseason. And also want to encourage you to check out the Hit and Season Patreon, where we have so many other great Phillies podcasts there for you as well. It's at patreon.com slash hitandseason. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time right here on Hit and Season.